ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. We are so happy to be with you. I'm Rabbi Elliot Nama from Highland Park, Highland Park Conservative Temple, Congregation Anshemin in New Jersey. Joining me as always, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski from Anshe Chesed in New York City and Rabbi Barry Chesler from the Salman Schechter of Long Island from Long Island. Shalom, gentlemen. Shalom, chavirin. Shalom, everybody. Shalom, uh, We're starting off, we have to make a, a word of dedication. First of all, we, we got the news yesterday that there's not going to be a Kaitz Alpayim Be'esrin. Uh, and we, we, we all knew this was coming, but um, to get the news, it was uh, heartbreaking. I think uh, we shared with, with everybody who understands how important camp is, I'm going to take a moment to talk about that. So we're dedicating this to Gesher 2020. Uh, great group of kids. Uh, we miss you. We know that you're hurting deeply from this. This is, this, is, this is a big, big loss. This is huge. And we're just going to go around, go around the Zoom room here just to kind of convey what this means and, and why, why we're so emotional about it. So we'll start with you, Jeremy. You can't start with me because I'll, I'll cry. Yeah. <laughs> Camp is magical. Great experience for you guys. And I know how much you love it. And that's why it's so sad that in your, for, for the Gansher kids, for your final year at camp, that you, that you won't have, have this amazing experience. But I certainly hope that as many of you as possible will come back to join the staff in, in future years to help other kids have the great experiences that you've had. And, keep, you know, keep in mind, guys, just you, you, the reason it hurts so bad is because it's so precious to you and, and you've had so much uh, love there. And um, so it's, it's heartbreaking of what you're not going to have in this particular summer, but let that feeling of, of sorrow motivate you to recognize your gratitude for the amazing other experiences that you've had. All right. So camp, I think, is a lot about firsts and lasts and everything you do in between. When you first get to camp, you take note of all the things you're doing for the first time. And as you make your way through your however many years you go, you begin then to focus on doing things for the last time. And it's terrible news because we spend a lot of our year looking forward to going to camp. It's a magical place and it's a magical space and it's a magical time. It's everything that we look forward to. It's our reward for making it from the high holy days to Shavuot. Absolutely. You know, this is our foretaste of redemption, and this year we don't have it, and it seems a little cruel. When you spend so much of your time, and if you're in Gesher this year, you've been looking forward to this for years, not just this year, but since you got to camp. It's, it's very difficult to take. It would have been strange to be at camp this summer, given everything that's going on in the world. And so we grieve a little, and we have to find a way to rejoice as well. You know, kids, kids, you're uh, you're talking to to three three old guys who still <laughs> love camp a lot. Okay, is, we we still awesome. treasure our time there. 
I remember, you know, Professor Gilman Alavasham gave us an assignment in rabbinical school to talk about something that um, is related to theology and loss. And I, I described the end of camp as a, as a funeral experience. And it, 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 it's very much in the realm of loss because, you know, there's, there's the sense of emptiness, the sense, the sense you're crying, you miss people. And something that was alive no longer is alive, that, that whole experience. The other thing I want to say is that you know, I think for the three of us, um, camp has shaped our lives in ways that, that we, we can't even describe. I mean, in terms of the formative experiences, you know, I, I go back to 1975, uh, you know, as a 13 or 14-year-old, and uh, through staff, and, and, and then as a, uh, an adult and a rabbi and a parent. And, um, you know, it's... It's a huge, huge part of our lives, and it has shaped every single one of us. And and um, so we're 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 feeling for you deeply, and we know that this is a real loss, and we know that that from that loss you will you will be different kinds of people. It's real. We take it very seriously, but we're with you and we comfort you also. And we want to talk about Parsha Bamidbar because we're going into Shabbos. And it's Parsha Bamidbar, we're heading into a new book. So we have a few themes we want to we talk about. Uh, first, let, let's, let's talk about Midbar. Let's talk about the desert. And let's talk about, just for a second, the, the contrast between Midbar, Bamidbar, and Vayikra. Uh, Bamidbar, it's a lot of movement in this book. A lot of messiness, too. Very a lot, there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of failure all along the way. There are the spies, there's Korach, there's Moses hitting the rock. There's a tremendous amount of loss, people being separated from the community and not being able to come back. People getting close to the promised land and not being able to enter. And Moshe and Aaron themselves not being able to enter. And yet, through it all, I think the people come together and make themselves a people so that they can be in a much better place when we get to the end in a couple months. Yeah, I was going to say that, that there's, there's a kind of um, two different parallel mythologies, I think, about, about the Midbar. Uh, everything that Barry said is correct, especially about the book of Sefer Bamidbar in the Torah. It, it is exactly what you said. It is a book about painful journeys and failures and having to dust yourself back back off again and correcting your mistakes. It's also true that the Midrashic tradition and certain passages in the Tanakh itself speak about the Midbar as this amazingly precious, uh, amazingly precious experience in which the people traveled through uh, divine protection. God fed them in manna. There, there's a little Midrash, plays on a, plays on a word somewhere else in the, in the Tanakh, but it's, it's about the, the people in the desert is Dor Dea, the generation of the mind, the generation of consciousness. They were fed by manna. They were wrapped in, in the Sukkot that they traveled in the desert, or Anane Kavo. They were wrapped in clouds of glory, and they were so close to God. And it was, a, it was a, in the book of Jeremiah, for example, we say this verse on Rosh Hashanah. Um, uh, I remember your young love. You walked into the desert, the Eretz Lozeru'ah, a land, there was no agriculture there, and you had so much faith that you walked into the desert 
with me. And so I think it is true that the, the, the book of Bamidbar is, is quite hard. It's also true that walking into the wilderness is immensely growthful for Am Yisrael. That's where they get the Torah. And, and also was a time of communal intimacy and intimacy with God. So it's fascinating, you know, the two of you have these really, I mean, you're stating opposite positions. One, Jeremy, your romantic position and Barry, a, a less, a less so, uh, failure. I, I would maybe, I don't want to be the machria b'nehem, but, but say, this is the most political book in the Torah. Mm-hmm. And it's precisely because it's political that it is messy and it is filled with failure. It, and also it has these themes of, of aspiring to something akin to what you're saying here, which is, this is the, the, this is the place where the relationship between God and B'nai Israel plays itself out. So in a way, it's, it's really all of the above. Uh, There's a, also a contemporary theme because of the emphasis on leadership and especially failed leadership. Right. And where have we seen that recently? <laughs> so, so getting into the, the, the sense of what this, the themes of this, uh, this Parsha uh, are dealing with, we, we start out the Parsha with uh, basically numbering the, the tribes. We, we are mustering the numbers. We are assembling um, an army. We're assembling a force. We're assembling a camp. Uh, and as we, of course, started off our talk this uh, week with, um, with camp, you know, it's, it's a fascinating exercise to, to just examine, you know, how the biblical camp of Israel is organized and how it's situated and compare that and contrast that to, to you know, other forms of organization. So let's I'll start with you, Barry. So in the Midbar, the camp is highly organized. We have a four-sided square three tribes on each side, a count is given to each of the fighting men over 20. And in the center, we have the Oha Moed with the Levitical families surrounding it, as well as Moshe and Aharon. And it's a, a wonderful image of structure and order and movement towards redemption. Camp, as we all know, is a very different physical space. And so our center at camp is not the geographical center of camp, which would be somewhere, I guess, where the new art building is now. But as we suggested when we were talking before the show, perhaps the amphitheater, which is where the great communal happenings happen on Erev Shabbat. And it makes us wonder what really is the center? How do we define the center? Is it a matter of geography in place or a geography of the mind? Indeed. And, and it, I think some of that, that um, picture, you know, shapes the way that we create synagogues. Um, and, um, you know, some of our synagogues, the, the Sephardi uh, uh, mold, um, are with the bima in the center, almost re- reminiscent of the mishkan in the center. And some of us, you know, are, have our bima at the, at the front. Um, and, and I mean, it's very clear that the shul space is supposed to be the imitation of the desert. We walk into the desert uh, when we come into shul. We are invoking desert imagery. Um, I just want to ask, you know, Jeremy, if you have any thoughts about you know, 
Yeah, I think the um, the image of the entire camp arrayed around the Ohomo Aid, and in the center of the Ohomo Aid is the macro tent, and the Mishkan's in the center of that, and not quite in this geographic center, but in the center uh, of that is is the Beit Kodesh Kodashim, and in the center of that is the Ark. And to me, the poetic power of all things rotating around the ark, where is the Torah, where the Kruvim, where God is to be found, uh, says a great deal about the society and what the society values. Um, I, I, I'm not sure about if there's any way to replicate that um, in, in contemporary life or something, because, you know, the world's big and, and we, don't, we don't have one single focus that everybody that everybody um, makes the center of their life, but what I think is poetically being brought out here in the beginning of Sefer Bamidbar is our whole world is oriented to the shared sacred place of Am Yisrael, and and that place is oriented towards the presence of God and the Torah, and I find that poetically tremendously interesting. As, as Barry said, you know, those of you among our many listeners, we're going to assume that most of you have spent significant time at Camperman the Berkshires, but Perhaps some of you haven't, and, and in case that's the, the in case that's true, um, I, 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 you might not be able to get the the power of what Barry said is that the, there's an amphitheater on the lake, and that's where Friday night happens, and watching the sun set behind the mountain, and those moments are are um, the ones that I think are spiritually with all the participants, the young participants and the adult participants of some of the best Shabbatot. That, that we have, and for the camp to be oriented around that space is to say something similar, that the most important part of our experience is this place where we share something that has real kedusha, real holiness. That's a fascinating um, analogy and a fascinating uh, way of understanding it, that, that the center of, of our lives really is, the, is kedusha, uh, as opposed to, let's say, the chadarocha, which is you know, it's a place where we all congregate, but but it's a place of less kedusha. Uh, special things happen; magic uh, happens at the bama, uh, and um, part of that is because there's a community there, and there you 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 get to transcend yourself. You get to be beyond yourself. I was going to say also that that in the biblical array of the tribes, we have the compression of Har Sinai. That, that we are walking through the desert and taking our mountain with us, taking the moment of revelation between God and B'nai Israel, and, and we are constantly being reminded of that on every step of the journey. So let's, let's um, just go to, to another piece of, of this, and that um, this, um, the Parsha deals at length with the, the role that Levine play in the journey. Uh, so we mentioned on a previous in Parshat Emor, Jeremy, you're you're a Kohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're just a Israel like me, right? Just a Israel. We're just a Israel. Actually, Israel is a good thing to be. <laughs> uh, so take a shot at at uh, Levim. What what's that about? Uh, so I, I think that the societies um, first of all have. Uh, religious teachers and leaders 
I think you really, really were right on, Elliot, when you talked about the most political and the, and that focus on how is it that that societies are organized to have leaders help people do things they couldn't do on their own, and how that can be successful or or unsuccessful. Um, one of the ways in which societies work, I think, is to invest certain people with the function of religious teaching and religious leadership. And the three of us are are uh, you know obviously rabbis and professionals. In this in this way, and for society to say, okay, we have the, this this one group of people. In in Bible times, it was a hereditary caste. You were just born into it. I don't think you could you couldn't choose. Uh, you certainly couldn't choose to be a Levite if you weren't one. But I don't know if you could choose to be a farmer if you if you didn't really want to be a Levite. But the but the um, the Levites provided something for society. There there's a, a a discussion in the Talmud which I happen to reference today. Today was. Today, this 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 day of Thursday, uh, May twenty first, when we're recording this, uh, it was the rabbinical school graduation, and uh, one of one of the students with whom I'm very close, she's worked with us in our shul here for for a number of years. Uh, the new rabbi, Dina Cowens, Dina Shira Bat Devara Abraham Baruch Hakohen. I I said a word to her in the course of the uh, of the graduation. And I referenced this, this Gemara in which the priests, the question is asked in the Talmud, are the, are the priests shluchei de Rachmana or shluchei didan? Are they, are they God's messengers? Are they really servants of God towards the people? Or are they really the people's servants towards God? And of course, this being the Talmud, the answer is... Oh, thank you. Gotta be, gotta be. Uh, the, the question is just, not, is just not answered there, but the, the, um, the attempts to answer it are all rejected. So... The answer is clearly what we're supposed to take away is both. So I would hope that the Levi'im and the Kohanim and those of us who are their modern day descendants by virtue of being religious teachers and, and leaders always have that sense of ourselves as Shluche de Rahmana, God's emissaries, and Shluche de Yisrael, um, Israel's, Israel's messengers. And I wish for Dina that she has a long and happy and full career of both of those things. Beautiful. Barry, any thoughts on, on Levi'im? So there's a tension in all kinds of dynastic succession between charisma and heredity. That on one hand, the leaders that we most value are charismatic, which originally was someone who was touched by God or the gods and was singled out for leadership. That makes for a, me a messy transition between leaders. The dynastic principle, on the other hand, is very clear. You know at all times who the next person will be, but doesn't always function in terms of uh, aptitude, right? There's, it's not necessary that the child of a great king will become a great king, him or herself, or a queen, him or herself. And so in the Bible, we have a lot of hereditary dynasties, the Kohanim and the Levim on one hand, the kings, and we also have the charismatic leaders, the prophets, and it's hard often to choose between the two. But I, I did want to come back to something. I was thinking about the shape of the camp, and we have the, the OL Moed and the Mishkan in the middle, and the army surrounds the camp, and it's almost as if we're protecting God. And yet most of us go through our lives thinking that God protects us. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. That's a great observation. Yes. Yeah. The 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 Vim play this role as as servants, and I just want to read this verse 
Lakachti mitoch b'nei Yisrael. I'm going to take the Levites from Israel. Tachat kol bechor peterechemi b'nei Yisrael vayuli al levihim. That that the Levi the Levites are in replacing in a way the the firstborn. Kili kol bechor b'yom hakoti kol bechor b'eres Yisrael. God says all the firstborn belong to me on the day that I smote the firstborn of Egypt. Hikdashti li kol bechor b'Yisrael. I brought them, I sanctified them, uh, the, the firstborn of Israel. And so what we have here is a, a, a kind of transition. The firstborn of Israel were supposed to serve in some kind of role. Um, and I often reflect on these passages thinking that, you know, what happens when you do take the firstborn people, the firstborn of every family, and kind of dispatch them to, uh, to the temple? You destroy the family. Um, and and here, uh, the, the, the beauty of this, I think, is that um, the Torah recognizes that the, the sacred structure of the temple and the sanctuary is subordinate to the family. Mm. That, that instead of uh, dismantling families and, and causing irreparable damage to families by having their firstborn off serving in the temple as a, as a delegate... Um, what you're doing is, you know, saving the structure of the family. And I, I, I sense within the biblical vision here such an emphasis on the centrality of the family uh, in, 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 in preferring to keep the firstborn. Let me, let me have my firstborn son with me. And I'll, you know, you can have the Levites, God. <laughs> I think that this is a really interesting, first of all, a really interesting observation and to give it a little bit of um, emotional, uh, you know, spiciness. Uh, think about the passage who's for familiar to us as the Haftaran Rosh Hashanah, the birth, uh, the annunciation of the birth and the birth of Samuel, because mm-hmm. clearly that passage doesn't know that only Kohanim work in the temple, right? Because right. Chana gives Samuel after this long-awaited child is born, El this is the baby I prayed for, and now I'm giving him up. It's just a heartbreak. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, and she's it's willing to do that. Sacrifice. And and uh, in a way, you see, you see, I mean, the 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 tremendous torment, pain. And if, if you had to, if you had to uh, worship, I mean, our experience. My experience personally, but I, I think we'll agree to this, our experience of being a Jew is bound together with healthy family life, yes. right? Celebrating Shabbos together, celebrating Chagim together, celebrating the births and mourning the deaths. And it's, it works with human love. If you had to make your religious life a renunciation of the love of the people in your life, that would be a a diminished, really diminished religious life. I'm not smacking here at, at you know, uh, uh, traditions that have celibate priesthoods or whatever, but the, those traditions, like the Catholic priests will talk about renouncing their own personal family for the family of the church. That's not a life I would want to live, right? I would want to live in the integrity of family. Um, and that's that. I don't think that Judaism expects that there is a, zero-sum competition between your love of your family and your love of God or love of, of your people. 
So it's interesting in that regard, you know, in the Catholic tradition, the priest separates himself from the family and chooses to live a very different kind of life than the rest of the members of the family. With the Levim, however, they live apart on one hand, but it's part of a family as well. So they have their own family of blood, not just of vocation, that keeps them together. The other thing that occurs to me while we were talking is that the Levites, much more so than the Kohanim, tend to the structure of the Mishkan. They're the ones who are going to take it apart and put it back together wherever they go. And there's something beautiful about this idea that that's a family job, that it's not something that you come to because you like it. It's something that you're born into and you have to learn how to do it. And you learn to do it with members of your family. You do it for your set time. I think the Torah specifies 20 years, 30 years, and then you retire. It's and part of your guild. family. What? It's the family guild. You know, it's like yeah. uh, in Montreal, there was a, there still is a funeral home that's run by paper, paper men and sons. It's a generational family. You know, the, the, this, this is the profession that this family does. And, and it didn't matter, uh, you know, if you wanted to do something else, you were born into that family, that's what you did. You were a funeral. Director. Actually, you know, think, think of it this way, um, about that, that, that continuity. Uh, Elliot, you have a last name that suggests the job of one of your ancestors, or more than one of your ancestors. But think about the various kinds of, you know, Schumachers and Schechters and Schneiders. Those, those are all job names. The, shoemaker and the butcher and the tailor and i bet you there was just much much more of that than there is in contemporary life i, I still feel it in my dna being a, a lot of but, um but on this the subject of, of family as a structure and of course the main structure, and we'll go back to how we started with with camp you know camp camp presents an alternate structure uh for for two months one month two months we suspend the, the normal family structure where we nourish Judaism in the beautiful way that you described, Jeremy, and, and we create uh, an alternative structure which consists of the peers, the peer group, and the, the mentor may be the, the model, the, the exemplar of behavior. I'm giving a lot of staff a lot of credit here, but, but they, they have such a, a valuable... Um, effect on on children and that that structure is 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 i guess it's a new structure within our civilization within judaism for sure uh the peer structure and then there's a third structure which is the the master disciple structure which the rabbi set up as a as a countervailing force to the family structure so we're, we're really dealing with all of those things you know i think it's when when Camp Ramah got started and and before it uh, what was the Camp Massad some of those in all that same period in the in the sort of 1940s in, in the United States and and I guess Canada as well these camps got started at least partly by Jewish educators who wanted to um, give kids an immersive experience outside of their families because their families maybe they weren't that observant or they were we want to give you the perfect experience and. So we took you out of your normal space and we put you in this, this almost lab of very, very rich Jewish life. And all these years later, there's many things that are uh, different about, about camp. Um, but that part, I think, is, is still somewhat true. It's not the same kind of 
sense that, that, the, that the educational experts are doing an experiment, but it is a sense that you leave behind normal life. Um, hopefully the kids will put down their screens for a little bit and they'll disconnect from Wi-Fi a little bit and they'll just look at each other face to face. Um, and the relationships they build in the time, the, these kids, our, our kids now in the 21st century who spend so much time with electronics and whatever, truth is they want to do is they, they want to sit on the porch with their friends and talk. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. one of the best things about it. Absolutely. That's why, you know, this is this back to the beginning. I mean, this is such a, you know, a, a multidimensional loss here. We, we, we have the opportunity, of course, you know, I think it's very much still a, a laboratory. It's still a, a, an experiment. Camp is, is um, an evolving experiment over six, seven decades here. And it's, it's designed to be temporary. In other words, we go to camp for a finite amount of time, but the, the true test of camp is what we take out of it into the rest of the year. Absolutely. And that's a loss that we can't really calculate because we don't know what people would have gotten this year, except in a general way, because camp historically has been quite successful, but it's going to color the way that 2021 unfolds as well, because people won't have that background and that foundation of their summer in camp this year. Well, I'm hoping that, uh, that we'll find some ways to compensate and that we'll find ways to unleash creativity, even without uh, that, that central place that, uh, it really is a kind of mishkan for us. Uh, you know, we're all quite romantic about it. There, you know, it's, it's true also that, you know, I didn't go as a kid. Um, and and I, I, when you were saying how much campus shaped our lives, the funny thing is that that's true of me too. And yeah. I didn't go until I was in my 40s when I was paying my, paying my bills. But um, the, 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 uh, even as an adult, um, the beauty of it really just touched me so much and and uh and campus for sure it's going to take this hiatus but it's going to come back super strong absolutely the kids, the kids are going to want to be back and even the kids who are going to miss this year um they're going to come back and be on staff and they're going to they're going to have a, a great experience once again and they'll help others have a great experience so why don't why don't we um why don't we bring it to a conclusion there i think that's a great bracha to end on as we as we go into shabbat a, a sad shabbat for a good part of our community but with the understanding and the, and the hope that when we come back, we'll be stronger than ever. So with that, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Tomorrow. Yom Shalom. Talk about stronger than ever. And we'll see you next week on another edition of Parsha Talk. Next week we're going to be early because of Shavuos. Because of Shavuos. We'll talk we're about that. Lots to talk we're about. Early because we cannot do that. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, guys. Shabbat Shalom.